Welcome to episode 279 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we discuss record NRL crowds, the most expensive players and spines in the NRL, and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 279 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? I'm, I'm doing well, Dr. T. I am. Uh, I suppose what I am is shocked that we're already up to round 21 in the NRL. You know, we've uh, been so state of origin focused, we didn't realise that we're, uh, we're not that far away from the finals now. That's right. The, it feels like the road to the finals is shorter and shorter, isn't it? But it's still what, what there's still what seven rounds to go. However many there are, how yeah. many do we have left? I don't know. It's, it seems like not that many. But yeah, round twenty. To think that you know, by the time Origin finishes, it's round twenty. Surely we've um, has this been an extended season? I get the feeling we're catching up for all the shorter seasons during COVID. I just reckon that something's going on here. There's um, you know, the, the bean counters at the NRL scheduling committee, I think, have, uh, have tricked us. Uh, yeah. You know, it's July and it's already round 20. It feels like, yeah, there's the semis are almost upon us. Well, there is uh, an extra round, um, round 27. There, there wasn't a, an extra, like it was, uh, I think, only 26 rounds last year. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I think every team gets three buyers this year. Um, <laughs> whereas last year they got, like, one, maybe two. Like, so... Uh, yeah, <laughs> so so they're not playing that many more games. They're just extending the season because of the buys. That's what it is, right? Yeah, I think so. And remember, we've had no internet. We didn't have an international round this year too. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, think, I figured it out. I think there's another reason. I think um, probably eight rounds in or, or whatever, they decided to do six again without without telling us. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's happened. They've just start they've counted they've started from round 1 again like, you know, in mid-April or something, who knows. But uh, it feels that way. It feels really weird, but um but yeah, look, uh we, Origin is is gone, come and gone. We are now well and truly in the frame for finals footy. And look, we have seen some great footy so far this year and this weekend in fact. That signals to me, Tish, that we are well and truly seeing semi-final quality football mm. in a few different games already. So, uh, you know, this is where we're going to start seeing the uh, uh, the how could you say it? the the cream rises to the top uh, at this point when the pressure cooker is on. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm mixing my food analogies, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's, once you put the pressure on, you start seeing which teams are, are going to really play a part in uh, in the final rounds and especially deep into the semis. Uh, and and look, we're going to you know, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that, see which ones are sort of uh, getting into the frame. But look, without any further ado, let's jump into um, the tackle number one where we review round twenty. Here we go.
All right, round 20 saw the Newcastle Knights 34 over the West Tigers 18 in front of 18,000 fans at Newcastle. You know, getting behind their team there. Good on you, Newcastle. The Brisbane Broncos 44 to 24 over the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. It was a Saturday 3 p.m. game at Belmore, <clears throat> excuse me, Belmore Sports Ground in front of 17,000 or so fans. I believe that was also the farewell game for Josh Reynolds, if I'm not mistaken. So well done there, Bulldogs fans. Cowboys 19 to 8 over Manly Warringah Seagulls at Four Pines Park in front of 13 or, th- or so thousand fans. Um, Melbourne Storm 30 to 16 over Sydney Roosters on Saturday evening at the Sydney Cricket Ground in front of only 12,000 fans. That's quite disappointing, to be honest. Um, New Zealand Warriors 44 to 12 over title contenders Cronulla Southern Sharks. Let me say that again: forty-four to twelve over the Sharks at Go Media Stadium uh, in the town of Auckland. Not Go Media. Go Media is a company. Auckland, mm-hmm. in front of twenty-four thousand fans. So go the Warriors. Well done, fans there. Um, Panthers twenty-four to fourteen over the Dolphins at KO Stadium in front of ten thousand or so fans. And finally, Parramatta Eels twenty-five to twenty-four over Gold Coast Titans at Combank Stadium. Uh, at on Sunday evening in front of twelve and a half thousand fans, pretty disappointing. But I believe, I believe it was kind of rainy weather. Maybe at that point, I don't remember. I think it's it, it wasn't probably the best weather. But yeah, disappointing crowd. But the Eels uh, got it over the Titans. Look, um, you know, for me, I think there's there's quite a few standout games here. But the key ones that I thought were really, uh, you know. Uh, Critical, I think, were, were obviously the Eels and the Titans. I think um, the Eels needed to win this. And I think I was, you know, as an Eels fan, I was a little bit <laughs> on edge uh, with what happened. We had two players. At one point, we had two players in the Simbin. So, I don't wow. – 13 versus 11, it's unheard of. But um, – and that's actually going to be consequential because I think both players are going to possibly be suspended, especially Reagan Campbell-Gillard, who um, went knees first into a Titans player, unfortunately. Not typical for him to do that. I think it was just really careless. And I think he was actually trying to kind of flop on the ground a little bit, but, um, you know, ended up putting his knees right into the middle of his back, which is not what you do, and uh, quite rightly got Simbin for that and put on report. But to me, the Warriors over the Sharks, um, you know, I know the Warriors, the Sharks don't travel well. I know there's that traditional, uh, you know, thing around the Sharks not being able to beat a top eight side um, this year in particular, which is a, which is one of their kind of little curses at the moment. But um, the Warriors, I mean, 44 to 12, how impressive can you get? They just seem to be getting better, better and better. <laughs> and uh, and their coach is uh, is also kind of uh, you know bringing a lot of this together. Sean Johnson's playing well. They're all just playing well as a unit. Um, the the backs are really scintillating. The uh, Watanese Lesniak is is absolutely killing it on the side. Yeah. Uh, you know, hairstyle and all. He is a uh, Brazilian soccer player hairstyle, right? The uh, that's right. The curly, the curly head mullet, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, it's 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 really is a cult figure at the moment, and and yeah. the Warriors are like you know, the Raiders are on below the radar as I've said, but the Warriors are also there as well. So we're going to definitely focus on them later in this episode because we think it's worth talking about them and and their their uh their great run towards the finals. But Tish, what about you? What were your kind of highlights or lowlights for the weekend? 
Well, look, um, well, firstly, disappointing again with the Tigers. And um, you know what? But I do feel like this. I know there's like lots of talk. And we won't get into it because we seem to talk about it every week. But, um, you know, <laughs> what I was going to say is that, um, you know, last year I was disappointed that we finished on the wooden spoon. Like, but this year I feel like we deserve it. Um, and, and I'm happy <laughs> with the wooden spoon this year because I think we were awful, right? <laughs> Like that's that's how that's how I, I planned it out. Um, but you know, the game that I really uh, enjoyed watching was actually the Panthers and the Dolphins. Now I know that there's a real big delta between where they uh, where they are uh, ladder wise, but I think once again the Dolphins showed that they're actually not a bad team and that that they stuck it uh, stuck it with them. Now there was an issue where like um, you know uh, you know the Panthers um, they only started converting their uh, tries. Uh, after the sixty, uh, like sixty eighth minute, right prior to that, they had missed all of their goal kicks. So, um, but yeah, like I was thinking, you know, the, the Dolphins—they're sitting, you know, really low on the ladder now after, yeah, you, know, uh, you know, all these strings of losses. But they showed that they can produce a good result, and I thought it was actually quite an entertaining uh, game. Um, yeah, and then look, coming back to the probably the game of the round, as you're saying, the the Titans and um, the Eels. I think the Titans have found a new lease of life with Des Hasler there. Um, so they've become a very dangerous team for, for you know, for, for opponents to play. Um, they are still in the hunt, uh, but an outside chance, I, I think, for the top eight. Um, you know, like, so I think that they're going to... So I think it was an important win for, for the Eels, you know, who are sitting on seventh and, you know, are not that far away from a top eight spot. I think they're only, like, sort of two games short. But they do have a buy in hand to to themselves into into the top top four. So um, yeah, so an important win. Look, uh, you know, it's one of these things where sometimes uh, you know your team sort of doesn't perform well. You know, there's an upset that brews and everything like this. But the important thing is now, I think, is to is to ensure that you're sort of winning. It doesn't really matter how you're winning, just as long as you're winning and starting to put things together as we sort of lead into the top uh, top you know, in, into the finals. And, you know, I suppose now is sort of also that chance where, you know, you sort of don't want to get an injury, right? Particularly a bad injury because, you know, if you've got a seven to eight week injury, uh, basically, you know, that, that sort of really affects where you're going to end up in the ladder. So it's going to be very interesting to see how some of these clubs are going to, you know, sort of move forward from here. Uh, might see players getting rested for certain games, but it will, I think it's going to be fascinating how this season will end up. Absolutely, and look. While we're at it, let's um, let's recap where we're at in terms of the ladder completely. So we've got the Panthers and the Broncos equal first uh, on thirty points, although Panthers with better for and against obviously on top there. We've then got the Storm and the Raiders third and fourth uh, in that order on twenty eight points. Then the Warriors and the Sharks fifth and sixth on twenty six points. Then the Eels, Rabbitohs, and Cowboys. Equal seventh, but the Eels ahead because of four and against, uh, and not by much, to be quite frank, against mm. uh, the Rabbitohs and the Cowboys on 24 points. And then three points clear uh, is the Knights on 21 points, equal with Seagulls. Twelfth uh, is, uh, or equal twelfth, are the Titans, Dolphins, and Roosters on 20 points. Bulldogs on 16 points, 15th, 16th, Dragons. 14 points and finally the Tigers dead last on 12 points but you know you know they're, they're close enough to kind of uh, you know it's really 
it's either the Bulldogs, Dragons, or Tigers are going to end up with a wooden spoon this year, most likely. Mm. You never know, but uh, you know, you just get the feeling that those three teams are just going to be battling for the wooden spoon. So the Tigers still have a chance, I believe. Um, you know, they're, they're up against the Dragons next. So, you know, it's the battle for the spoon. Uh, you know, let's see what happens. But look, um, uh, yeah, any other thoughts on round 20? Otherwise, we'll move on to the next tackle. Yeah, let's let's move on. All right, tackle number two. We are talking record NRL crowds. Here we go. All right, so a lot of news recently in the media where we are following the NRL being on track to posting the highest average and aggregate crowds in history uh and uh, you know a bit of a bounce back obviously after the pandemic lockdowns in the last few years the average attendance for the first 19 rounds of the 2023 nrl season is 18,388 which is 22.3 percent increase on the same period last year that's pretty good and that figure is also then up 24.9 percent on average crowds for the entire 2022 season, um, although there have been three fewer games so far this year. So, you know, average-wise, we are definitely on track to have a pretty big bump compared to last year, which is great. Um, now, the highest average crowd in history is 16,468, which is a mark that was established during West Tigers' premiership-winning season of 2005. So that was our pinnacle year in terms of uh, the NRL era. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so the NRL needs to average only 11,160 fans for the remaining matches to set a new average crowd record. Um, and uh, a lesser number, slightly less than that, 11,145 is all that's required for the rest of the 51 regular season games to ensure that our aggregate mark of 3,161,089, which was set last year, is surpassed. Now, I know, Tish, you know, aggregate is one thing, especially when you've got more teams and more games, etc. But really, it's the average that makes a difference. The average is what really tells us, um, you know, the difference between the top and the bottom teams. And, and if the average is up, you know that overall there's been uh, effort to to bring to bring the average the crowds up for even the teams that are not going so well. So despite the fact there are some teams not going very well, you know I'm looking at things like the the Newcastle Knights. Whenever we mention the Knights playing at home, they've uh, you know despite the fact that they're not really you know they're they're pretty much struggling. I mean they're close enough to the top eight, but I don't think uh, you know a lot of people aren't really tipping them to even make the top eight, and yet. There they are with a pretty strong crowd. Uh, almost every time they, they get over 20,000. Nova Castrians going to that ground. So well done. It's it's something to be said about, you know, having our regional our regional clubs uh, being superpowers so in terms of uh, crowd. So well done there. Um, some, uh, some quotes from NRL Chief, Chief Executive Andrew Abdo about the reason for this. So... He says, quote, the support has been overwhelming from our fans, which is really exciting. The competition has been very unpredictable, and we've seen a number of close, exciting games where the lead changes hands. It's been exciting football from the perspective of tries and low margins. You have to acknowledge the great work of the players and clubs that has translated to record attendances and also TV ratings. Um 
And obviously, this is all despite the fact that there's the Rugby League Player Association, uh, you, you know, uh, boycott and all sorts of other, uh, you know, uh, industrial actions happening this year, which, you know, you could argue is, is could be causing and could be disrupting um, the great work that's going on. But that doesn't seem to phase the average fan, Tish. And we're here to represent the average fans. And I think, I think it's fair to say, look, this year... Yeah, there's been there's been a different vibe, I have to say, compared to last year for sure. I feel I get the feeling as well that that a lot more people are willing to go to games. Uh, maybe it's the weather being a bit better this year. It's certainly, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe El Nino is actually good for um, for rugby league <laughs> attendance because you know no one wants to go in the rain, but we can handle a bit of dry weather. Um, maybe that's what it, I, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is Tish. Um, before I de- delve a little bit deeper into numbers, what what are your thoughts on NRL crowds and and uh, and you know my thoughts around you know just a bit of a different vibe this year? Yeah. Well, look, I think firstly, it's good news, great news uh, for the game, great news for rugby league, great news for the NRL, right? So, and I think the average crowd is up by almost two thousand uh, than the previous mark, which is pretty pretty awesome, right? And um, Particularly also that 2022, um, you know, had also been a really good season for for uh, for crowds as well. So I think all that part plays into it. Um, if I think about why, I think expansion has a lot to do with it because now you've got a new team. People want to see this new team play in the Dolphins. Uh, you know, the NRLW is going to get kickstarted fairly shortly too. Um, and there's an expansion in that competition too. So, you know, just seeing the new teams, the new players, the new brands, um, you know, it just exposes rugby league into new areas. I think also the fact that the Dolphins are playing at uh, a lot of their home games at Suncorp Stadium this year um, does mean that they do. I mean, Suncorp Stadium is, is you know is a fifty thousand arena sort of thing. So I think you're getting more games at some of the top venues, and with a team that you know. The, the Brisbane public will get behind. And we've seen Brisbane have the, the Broncos have the largest crowds traditionally. So I think all that stuff sort of plays into it. I mean, mind you, you still have the Sharks, uh, you know, rebuild happening. So their capacity is like, what, 12,000. Uh, Belmore Sports Crown is at a couple of games. They've had, uh, you, know, the, you know, they've got a capacity problem too. Um, so you've got like, uh, so it's not as if you've got, you know, that many games that are, in uh, you know, in bigger stadiums, you actually do have. I think it balances itself out. So I think it just shows a lot more interest and and probably. Uh, I mean, the fan, uh, the fan experience has probably improved this year because you just got more people out to the games. Yeah, look, uh, you raised something really interesting there, Tish, uh, around the the uh, well expansion. Obviously, uh, you know, with a new team, there's an invigoration. I think. In the competition, I think you always get that um, a, a small bump. But I think the other question, uh, the other thing that you're raising is the the stadium issue. So, um, you know, the the Dolphins' home stadium isn't that big at the moment. They're only really getting you know between ten and fifteen thousand on average. But when they play at Suncorp, if they if you know, th- there's obviously a shared stadium strategy there. Suncorp obviously allows a lot more fans to go there. It's more central. It's one of the best stadium, rugby league stadiums in the world. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely um, raising for me the question, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this, about, you know, do we 
do we go for a large stadium kind of strategy where you've got like a shared resource? So, for instance, you know, Sydney Football Stadium where Rabbitohs and Roosters find, uh, you know, you can use that as a home ground and that kind of thing. Um, do you do that in a situation where there's multiple uh, clubs in a city like, well, it's really only Brisbane and Sydney at the moment, but if we expand, say, to uh, to other areas with multiple, multiple um, clubs and we're going to have to do the same sort of thing, or do we go for the boutique kind of home ground situation? Like, you know, um, in Sydney's got this interesting issue where we can't really, you know, we've we've actually tried both of these strategies and both of them don't tend to work. So we've, we've there's a bit of a Mexican standoff here because we've got, you know, we've tried the uh, multiple teams sharing the uh, Homebush, you know, Olympic Stadium as uh, Stadium Australia or what's it called now, a core stadium. The multiple teams have used that as a home ground and that hasn't worked because a lot of clubs of, uh, you know, fans from the clubs are, are like, you know, why do we have to, if we're Rabbitohs fans and we live in the East, why do we have to travel all the way to Homebush um, just because it's a bigger stadium and just because it's, that's the the two stadium kind of approach that, that Sydney wants to adopt versus, you know, use a stadium that's closer to home or build up your your stadium, you know, Four Pines Park in Manly or whatever, that kind of thing. Um, I wonder whether there is uh, an opportunity here to rethink that large stadium kind of strategy rather than the boutique strategy because I think you'll, you'll never get crowds building if you just stick to your home grounds of Belmore or Four Pines or whatever. There needs to be growth. There needs to be an opportunity for uh, larger crowds. You know, if uh, if Parramatta didn't have the beautiful Combank Stadium with the crowd, uh, you know, admittedly, it's a pretty pretty decent size. Uh, you know, if we can fill it, that that's awesome, 30,000 or so fans. But, you know, let's just say if, if, if they had a, a stadium that was much smaller, um, but then every time they played the Bulldogs, you know, you guarantee 40,000 people there because of the 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 um you know the the fan base for both teams coming together you know what are you doing about that are you limiting by having boutique stadiums are you limiting or not so i think i wonder whether part of the part of the reason why we're having this bump is that the dolphins and brisbane in general have dealt with this by allowing them to have the home ground but also for the big games going to suncorp and watching those uh, crowds bloom and that has actually added quite significantly to the average, um, to their average and to the overall NRL average. So, Tish, I guess what I'm saying is, do we need to rethink this kind of, um, you know, using the multiple stadiums approach um, in Sydney, although Sydney is obviously geographically much more dispersed, but, you know, we, you could argue that Parramatta, um, Canterbury, uh, you know, I wonder if, I mean, I know St. George has got Cogger and Wollongong as well, but I wonder if there's a room to move to have them to, uh, you know, move towards Sydney Football Stadium a bit more, uh, you know, more regularly so that the fan base, the experience of uh, fans in Sydney is, uh, you know, there's footy on <laughs> one of these big stadiums at least once a weekend, and maybe that will bring the crowds back. So that's a long-winded way of saying, <laughs> do we need to go back to looking at these stadium, uh, this this stadium approach, and and is this uh, an answer to getting the crowds even bigger and better? What do you think? 
Okay. Well, right now, uh, right now in the NRL, you have one, two, three, four teams that sort of use the shared ground model, and uh, they actually make up four, uh, four of the bot- bottom five sides at the moment. <laughs> right. So uh, the Dolphins, the Bulldogs, the Dragons, and the and the West Tigers. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yet we're getting record crowds. <laughs> Explain <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But then, but then you have like, uh, but then like you look at some a team like the Panthers, right? They don't have that that massive stadium, but they get a, a sellout every every week. All right. Um, the Broncos, they're doing well. You know, always at some court, they're getting record crowds. The Storm get great crowds. The Raiders, when they're firing, get great crowds. Uh, you know, so uh, you know the Sharks have had a bigger stadium, they would get uh, like bigger audiences too, right? So. Um, you know, so so I think there is. I kind of think now that just just look, just going by that, and and uh, you know, I know it's we're sort of looking at one round, and maybe you've got to look at it at the end of the season type of thing. Um, it does. Uh, people, I think people, uh, humans are, are are creatures of habit type thing, right? So if you go, okay, you know what? Like, um, I, I support a team. And, you know, they play at Combat Stadium every time it's a home game. Okay, let me see when their home games are at. Okay, I know I've got to leave my house at this time to catch this train or mm. to get to yeah. the ground at this game. And then this is where I'm going to sit. And it just makes it easier for people, right, to mm. actually be part of the game. I did hear something where the Panthers' um, home games have been a, a sold out for, like, months already, up for the whole entire season, right? So, you know, that makes sense. Whereas when you go for the shared shared model it's like okay well what time do i got to get to the game again how much time do i need to allow for travel like it becomes um there's too much thinking involved <laughs> right for you to uh like it, and, it, and it ends up being in the too hard basket if that makes sense so i think this is where um you know just being consistent with where you're playing your home games i think it actually makes a big difference so i'd say i'd say from that part it's good um, but look, the other thing that that is happening is that look, I mean, you have a team like the Broncos who are second at the moment, and they play at one of the larger stadiums, right? Um, so that's good, right? Um, if you had the Broncos coming last, and then you're only seeing ten thousand people at a fifty thousand seat stadium, that's not a good sign as well. So I think it also depends on the teams that are actually performing well. I mean, one classic point is the Roosters, right? The Roosters are in a really great stadium, but they're not traveling so well. So I, I would say that the average crowds from the, um, you know, from their stadium, Alliance Stadium, probably not going to be that great this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, look, you raise a point about about the clubs that are going well. That's another factor as well. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, I do agree. I think there's something about the consistency model. So maybe what we should be doing is having a consistent, you know, there should always be uh, a game in one of the big stadiums in Sydney yeah. every weekend on a particular time, um, you know, unless there's a reason why, you know, one of the other codes needs it, then why not just make, you know, consistently the 4 p.m. game and if it's in Sydney, make it... Um, you know, make it a Sunday 4 p.m. game, televised game. Uh, it could be the Roosters, could be the Rabbitohs, could be one of the other teams, doesn't really matter. It makes people gravitate towards that ground every week at that same time. That's another another way you could do it. Um, yeah, and there's a lot to be said as well in Sydney. The problem in Sydney is the 
lack of um, you know good public transportation that gets us to <laughs> to these venues. Uh, you know, these venues are not close to public transportation. There's there's a bit of an effort to get to. Um, if you if you want to take public transport, a lot of people don't realise this. If you want to take public transport, say to Allianz Stadium in the city, um, it seems easy enough. You know, catch a train to Central. All the all the lines go to Central pretty much, and then from there you catch a light rail. I think, uh, and then it's a short walk to the stadium once it gets to Moor Park Precinct. Um, the problem is that there's there's always tons of crowds <laughs> to get light, the light rail, and it's not always. Uh, it is pretty frequent. I mean, having done this recently, it is pretty good, um, but it's uh, it's a bit of a hassle. It's not just a one trip. It's not. Um, and if you want to do the same thing to get to a core stadium, there's a train line there. Um, however, the train line doesn't directly go to say Central. So if you go to Central, you have to then go to another. Um, another station and get off there and then go go to Sydney Olympic Park. Um, so it's a bit it's a bit convoluted depending on where you come from in Sydney. So you yeah. know there's things like that that we need to address in Sydney. But it's sorry this isn't a Sydney whinging thing. This is just sort of indicating that there are ways that we can get better at um, at at this. Uh, but but the positive news out of all this, of course, and and the the one bit I want to end on on here is. Andrew Abdo's uh, view about what what could be one of the reasons for this bump in uh, record potentially getting a record crowd this year, and and I'll leave you with this Tish with the final comment. And here is his quote: "The commission has worked really hard over the last couple of years to think about rule changes that are customer-centered." A great example would be the six again rule, which came under a lot of criticism at the start. We've really seen that. Uh, we've really seen that redefine the ruck, the continuity of the game and the speed of the game. The attacking team has the opportunity to score some amazing tries and make amazing plays. The teams have responded well, but that was a key moment for us. It changed the way teams strategize and the type of football we're seeing. So Tish, let me put this to you. Is Andrew Abdo on the right track? Is it that we are seeing more attacking faster football and is it because of the six again rule that we're seeing that what do you think well six again has made the game faster yes i think more attacking football um provides more flamboyant uh fantastic spectacle type viewing so i do agree with him there um but conveniently rewriting history um because there was a a raft of rule changes (laughs) that came in when the six again tackle came in and yep. there might have been controversies over over some of the ta- uh, some of the other ones, like like they went to six again, and they also went from one referee down to two, right? Oh, sorry, from two referees down to one. Uh, and there was like a couple of other things as what they did. I don't think people actually were that critical of the six again tack, um, you know, rule change when it came in. I don't, I don't, I don't recall that to be the controversial one. I think it was more about the referees and probably around. Uh, the crackdown on head-high tackles and dangerous tackles and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, yeah. So, look, I think, yes, but also, look, I think a, a little bit, um, yeah, revisionist history in terms of people <laughs> criticising that particular tackle, because uh, that particular rule change, because I don't think there was uh, that much uh, criticism at the time when it was introduced. 
Yeah, although in saying that, I've got to be fair, I do criticise it quite a lot. So <laughs> that's, maybe that's just me. But um, but yeah, look, I, who knows? Maybe that's part of the reason is that we're seeing more attacking football. Again, I go back to – I'll leave you with this. Uh, those of you who agree or disagree with what I just said, go back to what I see as one of the golden eras of rugby league, which is the early 90s, <laughs> late 80s, early 90s, um, and, and, and watch some of those games and how – exciting they are to watch um you know generally generally on average uh you get you get some really great um uh, fast play the ball some you know uh still you get some athleticism probably not as much as today you get some amazing athleticism today tough tackles you, you know you had everything back then uh and and there's something about the balance that that hasn't seemed right for quite a long period and i think the six again rule possibly has brought some of that balance back towards speedier play. Um, and that has led to exciting play, but it's also led to some blowouts. And that's that's the thing I think that people get annoyed is that, um, you know, the, the games aren't always as close anymore because, uh, you know, once a team gets momentum and dominance, the, it's very hard to stop them. Mm. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my view and that's a view of, uh, you know, interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. But, Let's move on to tackle number three. We're going to talk about the highest paid players in the NRL in 2023. Here we go. All right, Tish, I'm going to do this in a slightly different way. We're going to talk about the highest paid players in the NRL in 2023. I'm assuming you haven't looked at the list uh, that's been published by GQ magazine earlier this. Uh, actually, maybe it's maybe it's an old one. <laughs> oh, no. I think I got, <laughs> I think I got, the, I got an – oh, no, I got the wrong link. Anyway, um, let me see if I can find the accurate one. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let me find one. So what I what I was thinking of doing is uh, um, is finding. Uh, hang on. Maybe we might need to restart this one. Okay. Well, there is a there is a. Uh, I think I ha- have a have a link. Um, oh, I did. No, I've got the right one. I think yeah, I've yeah, got the yeah. right one. Yep. No, no, I did. I do have the right one. Top ten. There you go. I do have it. Sorry. Let's let's do this again. All right. So I do have a list, but uh, I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't seen the full list. Is that correct? N- no, I have not. Okay. So I'm going to ask you just just off the top of your head, you name uh, who you think are the top ten. Uh, start with whatever number you think. Maybe you can start with who you think is the mo- is the highest paid, and then I'll tell you correct or incorrect and what number they come if they're in the list. So let's do it that way. And then we'll discuss, uh, we'll, we'll discuss them uh, at length later. So let's go with uh, name a player who you think is the top, the highest paid player in the NRL this year. Okay. I'm going to look uh, if, and I don't know when contracts expire and come back, but I'd say, uh, look, I'd say Nathan Cleary would be up there because you hear about You are correct. He, Nathan Cleary is at number two. With $1.3 million this year, Nathan Cleary, Ooh. number two. Wow, number two. Who else? That's Who else you got? Okay, okay. So we hear about this guy's contract a lot as well. Kalen Ponga. 
Kalen Ponga, number one, one point four million. He is the what? number one paid player in the NRL. Does that mean uh, across the world? I believe. There you go. Well okay. done, Kalen Ponga. Okay. Kalen Ponga. Okay. Um, well, we always. I mean, it's we always hear about the Tamalolo contract, right? Oh man, it's like ten years at like you know fifty million dollars or whatever. Uh, so you always hear about that one. Uh, Cameron Munster didn't he ask for more money? And then I'm also thinking, oh, that guy that went to Brisbane. Adam Reynolds, right? Because well, was... let's let's go through. So, look, Tamalolo does not make the top ten. Really interesting. Yeah, he doesn't. According to this list that I've got here, does not make the top ten. Uh, who else did you say? Cameron Munster is at yeah. number three, one point two five million. And who was the last one? Um, was that someone else? Tamalolo. Oh, uh, Adam Reynolds, right? Uh, Adam Reynolds. No, does not make the top ten either. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So these are the ones that we always hear about in the media, right? Like, you know, oh, that guy's yep. on so much money and stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's a bit surprising. So who else do you think? Like, who are the star players you think in the NRL? Maybe maybe use that tactic. Okay. Well, look, um, I think if we get, think about star players yet. So Cody Walker, where is he's at, right? Latrell Mitchell, right? Where are they No, at? they do not make it in the top 10. Not at wow. all. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, let's uh let's think about more indigenous players and uh and see if they make the list or not. <laughs> right. All right, <laughs> yeah, you could do that. <laughs> Dane Lawrence. No, okay. So uh okay, so I'm trying to think. Okay. Um all right, so if we go okay, let's go, you know, Jack Whiten. You know, isn't he no, does not make top ten. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> why, why don't yeah. you try try what, what about Kino Fasilla Malala Mahale or um the other no, Tino's not there. Um, why don't you try State of Origin Payne as a Haas. starting point? Payne about, Haas is not there. Payne, oh, isn't he always complaining or and he's getting paid too much? Um, what about Pangai Junior? Right? Isn't he? Isn't that controversial? Uh, uh, no, no, he's not. not. He's not in the top ten. You are nowhere no, near. You don't want Ben Hunt. Ben you Hunt is there. Ben is... Hunt being overpaid, right? So <laughs> you are ben number Hunt. seven. Ben Hunt, $1.1 million. Well done. When I say we, I don't say we, because I don't think we ever said that Ben Hunt's overpaid. I, I'm saying that you hear that a lot, right? You hear that a lot, but it's... In uh, rugby league news, right? Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. Dolphins, they don't really have a, a star player. Nico Hines, is he... Uh, no, is he... he's not in the top 10. Wow. Okay, so who you got that's performing well? Um, Sean Johnson, that's another guy that gets criticised a lot for how much he gets paid. No, he is not there. Wow. Oh, you know what? Brooksy. Luke Brooksy Brooks. is there. I'm glad you finally went to your hometown. The Tigers' Luke Brooks is at number five at $1.15 yeah. no, Oh, Wow. That's uh well, uh, yeah, well yeah. and now he's going to play. Uh, he's going to go to Manly probably for a lot less, I'd imagine. Yeah, because DCE is probably. Oh yeah, we already talked about DCE. So yeah, no, no, yeah. DCE. You didn't say DCE yet, but he's there. He's okay. number four at one point two million. Yeah, you're on the right track. Have a look at State of Origin. I'm giving you a clue. Look at who are the stars of each State of Origin team. That will give you a clue. Uh, potentially a clue, not not always, not always. 100%. Okay. Well, why don't we go with um, the Wally Lewis medalist, right? Ruben Potter. <laughs> no, 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 he's not in the top ten. Okay, let's go with last year's Wally Lewis medalist, Patrick Carrigan. No, not in the top ten either. Okay, let's go with the tackling machine, Damien Cook. Not in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's so, go with James I... Tedesco. 
James Tedesco there is number eight, 1.1 million. Well done. This is this is painful. Look, I reckon you'll get probably you eventually probably by next Christmas you'll get the nine of them, but the ten the well the the one that's at number nine you will not get. I don't think. But anyway, I'll help you out here. I think I've helped you out enough. Um, you're missing one of the other Seagulls stars. Uh, okay, Seagulls DCE. Oh, the Turbo. Turbo. Turbo is at number six, one point one five million equal roughly to Luke Brooks. And we have two more left to get in the top 10. Mm. Number nine and number 10 are yet to be selected well, by you. Okay. Well, uh, he signed a big contract this year, Mitchell Moses. Yeah, he is there. Number 10, 1.05 million. And, and you said num- I won't get the other one, right? You won't get the other one. So I'm not even going to bother because this is going to take you ages. At the Warriors, we've got Adam Fanua Blake at one point zero five million. Okay, I, have no, I don't, I don't know if that's that's fair, but anyway. Well, who is he? Like, have we ever? <laughs> well, have that's, him, a, that's right? a different, yeah. that's a different question altogether. It's surprising that Sean Johnson isn't the number one, but there, there you go. It could be something to do with the back ending of contracts and things like that. You never know. So, for whatever reason, that is the official um, number posted. But look. Uh, interesting, uh, just before we move on to the next thing, which we're going to focus on the most expensive spines uh, in the NRL, which will be very interesting discussion, but highest paid players, interesting that, um, you know, uh, I mean, if you would have asked me, I guess another way to look at it, and this doesn't always happen, but if you look at, say, soccer, and you say, you know, who are the best players in the world? Inevitably, the best players are the ones that are paid, paid the most. Not always, but it certainly is mostly lined up like that um and and the only reason that you don't get that is that you get things like yeah you know competitions like the premier league in england or now the saudi arabian league that um pay overs for certain stars when they come off the market or get on the market um and then that inflates their their price so yeah for you'll get periods of time where where relatively unknown, you know, or not really, you know, top 10 in the world type players are the highest paid players of that year, just purely because they're on the market at the right time and someone was prepared to pay them a lot. But if you look at this in NRL, in a much more smaller market and more contained within Australia and New Zealand here, um, if you were to look at, you know, or ask the question, who are the top players, who are the most important players uh, in in the NRL at the moment, usually what you'd do is you'd go, you know, one easy way to look at it is who's your most important Queenslander and who's your most important New South Welshman? Do you agree then, looking at this, that is Callum Ponga, now I know he didn't play this year for various reasons, but would you say Callum Ponga is the most, uh, you know, the MVP of uh, Queensland uh, players? Um, you know, because if I look at the top, say, four, You've got Ponga, Cleary, Munster, and Cherry Evans. I think it's fair to say that those are the the three most, you know, kind of the three of the best players in our competition at the moment. I know you might think Dudley Cherry Evans doesn't consistently perform, but, you know, when it comes to Queensland, he is probably one of the most important players uh, in that squad. And then you throw in Munster and then Callum Ponga as well, who who is an X-Factor player. But Cleary, Cleary, according to this, the numbers, Cleary is the most important New South Wales player, the best player, uh, New South Wales player. 
it, would you agree with that? If you look at it that way, who are the best players? Latrell Mitchell's not there on the list. What's going on? Yeah, well, um, he only played uh, one set of Origin game, Nathan Cleary, and we lost <laughs> this year. So, uh, and we got Trounce to the second one where he wasn't there, right? So maybe he is, but look, um, yeah, but like Mitchell Bowser certainly came into his own as well, and he's sort of in the top 10. So, yeah, it is, uh, yeah, look, yeah, it is. It is a difficult one because, I mean, um, you're saying that, but then uh, I mentioned the Wally Lewis medalists in the last two years, right? And they play in positions that are not highly paid, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so um, because, you know, when I look at uh, – when you when we talk about this 10, I think even Adam Fennell Blake, it's, it's attacking players get paid, right? <laughs> That's basically what it comes down to, right? Who Who's going to score your tries? Or who's going to power you forward, right? That is basically it, right? If you are a defensive player, no chance of getting some good money from the NRL. Yeah, that's true. And look, one thing I say in the top 10, like apart from the Warriors, uh, Adam Fanua, Blake, but the other anomalies, as we said earlier, Luke Brooks at number five. If there's any indication that the Tigers have have not had a great recruitment strategy or retention strategy, it's the fact that Luke Brooks you know, is even in the same company as some of those other players there. It's mm. that, that to me is a, and the biggest anomaly that, that tells you something's up with the Tigers and the way they are paying their players. Um, and, you know, obviously things will change now. Now that he's going to Manly, things are changing significantly. So he probably won't be in the top 10 next year. But um, yeah, really, it really highlights it. This is a smoking gun that shows that maybe the Tigers board should be completely sacked. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm being too harsh there, but anyway, look, that's the top 10. Uh, thanks for playing Tish. Now we're going to talk to the, about the most expensive spines in the NRL. Here we are. Tackle number four. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, look, some interesting uh, interesting news has come out where all the spine, uh, the spines of all the teams in the NRL have revealed their salaries and, you know, some very interesting things at play here. I'm just having a – I'm scrolling down to see okay. the numbers. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, like, straight out. Right. Let me ask you, the which Roosters. one's the most – The Roosters are the most expensive, oh. you reckon? I reckon the Roosters and the Storm because they are the the they are the sombreros of salary capness, right? So there'd be that. Um, uh, maybe the Panthers if they if but like you know who knows? But um, I'd say yeah, I'd say I, I would I would put those two at the top of the list, right? Uh, All right. Well, let me stop you there. Uh, you are correct on one of them. So the Storm coming in at $3.54 million for the four players. So for those of you who don't know, when we talk about the spine, we're talking the fullback, 5'8", halfback, and hooker. And if we're talking about the Storm, uh, technically they've put in Ryan Pappenheisen, Cameron Munster, Jerome Hughes, and Harry Grant. And collectively all together, they are at $3.54 million. Uh, and then the next most expensive is actually not uh, – it's not the Panthers. 
Uh, it's not the Roosters either, although the Roosters are at 3.2 million. Well, so there were two Manly players that were in the um, that, that were in the top ten, right? Correct. Well and spotted. They were both the side. Yeah, so that's were- right. So Manly is the second most expensive. Where we've got Tommy Turbo at 1.15, Josh Schuster at 800,000, Daly Cherry Evans 1.2 million, and Lachlan Croker at 300,000. So clearly that spine is stacked towards. <laughs> the fullback, five yeah. eight and halfback. So um, joining that spine next year, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's gonna it's gonna increase it. Um, look, and and I guess the next. So you you talked about a few others, and I've said they're not really. Uh, let me look at Panthers. Panthers actually uh, quite low, uh, two point seven eight million. So Dylan Edwards is four fifty, which I think is way undervalued. Uh, Jerome Luai, 680. Again, I believe he's way undervalued compared to compared to others. Nathan Cleary, 1.3 million, and Mitch Kenny at 350. Uh, obviously, they lost Apisai Corusau last year, who went to the Tigers, and he's on 650. So, you know, that yep. was reduced a little bit, but still 2.78 million. That is still a good 700k away from uh, from the storm at the top there. Yeah, um, I think this is going to be the challenge. Like people talk about this dynasty at Panthers, and it's still working. But you know, you got to remember, you've got Nathan Clear as the highest paid player in the NRL at the moment, so he's going to take a big chunk out of your second highest. Yeah, second highest. Yeah. yeah, and then I, I, you know, if you're a Dylan Edwards and a Jer- uh, and a uh, Jerome Luai, right? You'd be thinking, okay, you know what? Like Latrell Mitchell is playing the same position at me, but he's on double my salary. And how many premierships has Latrell won? You mm. know, how many has Cody Walker won? Probably, uh, I'm guessing Cody Walker's probably got more money, uh, has got a bigger contract than what, say, a Jerome Luai has, right? So, I mean, these two players would certainly have to be thinking about that, right? That uh, here we are playing for the Panthers. Yeah, we're winning premierships, but, you know, um, you know the coach's son gets double the amount. Gets the, is the highest paid player in the NRL, and here we are uh, getting paid fifty percent of what um, people that we are performing better than are getting. Yeah. <laughs> like, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Do, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it play in your mind? I, I think it would. I mean, it would play in my mind definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, let's. There's another team. I'm just looking. There's another team that is over three million uh, that you've completely missed. I'll give you a couple of chances to see. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay, so Moses, right? Moses Gutherson. I don't know how much Gutherson yeah. would be on. He might be an underpaid player too, right? Moses Gutherson, and uh, but they got rid of Reed Marnie. Uh, would it be the Eels? Yep. Yep. Three point two five million. So they're actually number three. Um, and well, wait, wait, do they have a bigger sombrero than the Roosters, Doctor T? Um, th- they are slightly bigger than the Roosters. So, oh my Roosters god, have, Roosters have three point two, so they're okay. the fourth team. So Tedesco at one point one million, Luke Kerry at eight fifty, okay. Sam Walker at four fifty, and Brandon Smith at eight hundred. Let me I just think go through you need the to hand back your runners up from last year. Well, we actually should be cheaper because we've got Gutho at 950, Dylan Brown at 800, Mitchell Moses 1.05, which I actually think kind of makes sense. Like those three are kind of equally important and they're roughly the same price tag. But then you've got Josh Hodgson at 450. And Josh Hodgson actually um, is probably not going to be the, the the hooker going forward. In fact, I think there's been an announcement that he's actually been he's out for the season now. He's got an injury or something. And now we've got, um, you know, we've got another player, an unknown player, Hand, who's there, um, not really, you know, 
not really getting that much money. So that you know that will decrease a little bit, but still we're a team over over three point you know three point two five million according to this uh, this latest uh, research. The best, so the best yep. surname for a dummy half hand hand. That's right. Um, and and look, let's let me just quickly go. I won't go through all of them, but I'll go through the ones that are the next best. You know, slightly below the three million, because there's a bit of a gap between the the top teams and the rest. The rest sort of hover around, you know, like the two million or thereabouts in total. Um, but then there's a few teams that are kind of, you know, obviously once they have one star player, it pushes them up a lot. So the Knights are at two point eight two million. So they're close to that $3 million, but that's mainly because of Kalen Ponga. You've also got Tyson Gamble there, Jackson Hastings, and Jaden Braley. Hardly kind of world beaters compared to Kalen Ponga, but obviously his number drags it up a bit. Um, and then another one that's actually pretty pretty close to that $3 million is uh, what we said. We talked about the Panthers as well, $2.78 million. Barabados at $2.7 million is pretty close. Uh, Mitchell, uh, Latrell Mitchell at 950, Cody Walker 750, Lachlan Ilias is at 300, and Damien Cook is at 700. Um, and then you've got a little bit further back, and obviously the Tigers, even though they're coming dead last, they make an appearance here because of Luke Brooks. <laughs> they're at 2.5 million. Uh, and then you've got like, you know, a bit of a way gap back back to the Cowboys at 2.32 million, uh, and, and, and so on and so on. I won't, won't bore you to death, but. From what I can see, the lowest uh, is uh, let me see, it's uh, 1.75. Yeah, it's actually the from. Let me just double check before I say this. Um, it's the Bulldogs is last with 1.75 million. We've got Hayes Perham at 150, Matt Burden 650, Toby Sexton 350, Reed Marnie 600. And uh, and oddly enough, only slightly behind uh, the Broncos at 1.81 million. Reese Walsh 450, Ezra Mam 320, Adam Reynolds 800, and Billy Walters 240. So, you know, if you're looking at those teams, I think it's fair to say as a spine, the most expensive is the Storm to be expected because they you know they've still got that star players, a few star players there. But the Broncos, I would have to say, pound for pound, are the most efficient uh, of all the spines. Because at 1.81 million, pretty much second last in terms of uh, outlay, or third last, I've got to say, Dolphins is 1.8 million. Um, you know, pretty good, third last and uh, top of the table at the moment. So you've got to hand it to uh, Kevy Walters up there. They're doing well, the Broncos. Uh with, with not much of a, an expensive spine. So well done, Broncos. Um, Tish, any further takeaways from this before we move on? Yeah, well, no, not really, but um, <laughs> it's a revelation to me that the Eels are, are spending more than the Roosters, but there you go. <laughs> you just can't get over that, can you? Well, no. at least at least we made it to the grand final, so that's good last year, but, that's you know, good. That's, good. Yeah. that's good. Hopefully we, we get there again and win it. Well, look, we're almost there. Let's go to tackle number five. We're going to focus on the rise of the New Zealand Warriors. Wooden spoon favourites to finals contenders this year. Here we go, tackle number five. All right, 
this year sees the New Zealand Warriors uh, having a bit of a meteoric rise uh, in the NRL. They were considered long shots at the beginning of the year. No one thought that they would be even in contention for finals footy uh, prior to the season's kickoff. But now everyone is focused on the great football that they're playing, the great strong identity that they, as a club that they're developing. And they look likely to make their second top eight appearance in 12 years. Uh, Tish, uh, you know, Coach Webster is uh, really focusing on uh, the getting the crowd behind them. There's a lot of focus on, you know, really just developing that club uh, from the ground up. The fans, the whole country is supportive of them. There's a lot of... Uh, you know, you don't often hear this when teams are talking about how they're they're rising, that they they make they pay homage to the um, uh, the 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 club the club's fans uh, rather than just saying no. You know, here is what we did to get there. It's also it's really just embedding this team within the fan base, which is really a new thing that I've seen. Whenever you see uh, these sort of stories, Patish. Do you want to talk us through the rise of the Warriors this year? Or do you yeah. want me to talk through it? Yep. Well, well look, I mean, uh, let me just start on the fence. So the Warriors have drawn uh, home ground, uh, home crowds averaging more than 20,000 fans at the new rebranded Mount Smart Stadium, which is the Go Media Stadium. Um, so, you know, that is that number is only bettered by their inaugural season, 1995, where they had 27,000. So, you know, we talked about the crowd records. The fact that in New Zealand, every time they have a home game, they're getting above 20,000, I think, just goes to how much the Warriors are doing for New Zealand Rugby League and, and how well they're sort of doing. And, you know, the other point is Andrew Webster. Who knew Andrew Webster, right? <laughs> like, you know, he's come out of nowhere and, um, you know, he was a, a Panthers assistant coach. Um, you know, for a long time, he was actually a Tigers assistant coach coach and then moved over when when Cleary did. So, I mean, kind of another opportunity missed by the Tigers, but that's another story. But coming back to Andrew Webster here, I mean, like, you know, no, like it was all about uh, Cameron Serralda and where he will go as the Panthers' assistant. And then the Warriors, you know, silently just picked up uh, Webster and he, and he seems to have, um, you know, he, he seems to be doing well with the supporter base, getting the crowds there. He seems to get the teams revved up and pumped. Uh, when we go through their, um, you know, their statistics against last year, uh, you know, they were for for you know for points against, they were running fifteenth last year uh, at round twenty. At round twenty this year, they're running fourth. So a big difference in defence. Mm. They're basically two hundred less ga- uh, points than last year. You know, um, and then you know from a, from a points point of view. Um, they're also up by over 100. So they were 12th last year at 314. And now they've, uh, you know, 436 is the points that they scored this year. So, you know, more than 100 points and then stopped less than 200 points. Mathematically, I believe that you'll be ahead. And there you go. That's why they're sitting in fifth position. And wouldn't you know, this week, they're actually taking on another team that's also had a rise this year from last year's efforts. And that's the Raiders. The Raiders are actually sitting in fourth. So fourth versus fifth this weekend, uh, you know, going to be a blockbuster. But I think, you know, they don't get a lot of attention, the Warriors, uh, you know, over over in Australia. And I think um, I think people need to start looking at what they're doing because it seems to be working. Uh, every time you see them play, I don't know if you've 
saw this. They seem to be really uh, a really attack minded team, don't they? Right? They mm. they they saw some they score some great tries, and uh, as you said, um, Dallin Watania Zalesiak, every week he's flipping around and scoring a try. Right? That's his. It's become his signature. Right? The the flipping try in the corner. That's his thing now. Right? And and uh, yeah, it's it's great. And um, you know, uh, I like. You know, I think I think rugby league is always exciting when you have like a team like the Warriors be, being able to do well. Um, what do you think is the the secret to their success there, uh, Doctor T? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one because I think, like I did mention earlier, that the the fact that they're focusing on the the crowd, the 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 fan base, says something about the way Webster, the coach Webster, does things, and it's not just about focusing on. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he knows he's doing well at focusing on the little things like the defense and being more attack-minded and things like that. I think it's more just the fact that they're, they've got – I think one of the things he said recently, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he talks about us – he sort of says, we, we, have, we know who we are, we've got a strong identity. And I think once you've got a strong identity, it translates well to the fans. They can, they've got something to hook into. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, like certainly no one's suggesting that the reason why all of a sudden more people are following the the Warriors is is uh, you know over there in in New Zealand is because they've rebranded the stadium. <laughs> it's not. I'm sure that the the stadium's got probably I don't know who knows maybe the toilet facilities have been cleaned up. Maybe they've got better better food and beverage options. I don't know, but it's got to do with it's the entire club. It starts from the team. And it, it filters out to the rest of the the fan base, the club, the way they operate. And I think, from my mind, I think the key thing that we're seeing is that the Warriors have a better identity than they've ever had, really. And in fact, what you know, a lot of new NRL teams at the moment in Sydney, in particular, could learn their lessons from what Andrew Webster is doing over there, because I think, um, you know, to give that team a sense of identity, it's kind of what they've been missing. You know, they've kind of, uh, you know, not really done anything of note since the likes of, you know, Stacey Jones, you know, almost a decade and a half ago. Um, they've just done nothing in the NRL. And this time, you know, an assistant, Penrith assistant coach has come on board. He's revitalised the team. There's players there that were not really doing very well beforehand under the previous coach or, or coaches. And he's all of a sudden got them swimming again. Uh, you know, Sean Johnson is absolutely, you know, he's he's leading the competition in uh, kick meters, you know, so which is not what you'd expect. But for whatever reason, he's taken advantage of a particular skill set. The coach yep. is taking advantage of a particular skill set that Sean Johnson has. We always used to think, oh, he's got to be the X Factor player. He's got to do the running and think, well, maybe – you know, maybe he's uh, learnt that he's not as fast as he used to be. He can't be, you know, even Benji at some point had to change his game. He wasn't as agile as he used to be. He had to change the way he did things. And I think Sean Johnson has done that. He's playing a different kind of role. He's playing more of an organiser role. Still has the ability to use his speed. That's that's never going away completely. But he's not focusing on that, and he's not just a one-trick pony. And I think that's all down to the coaching. I think that's all down to the, the identity that Andrew Webster has set for this team and is re they've all kind of uh, focused around it. And once you do that, I mean, look, I think, to be honest, this is where teams like the Tigers, 
the dragons, the bulldogs can actually learn a lot from what Webster has done, you know, um, and I want to speak on those teams because they come in last, but, you know, even the Titans could actually learn a lot from him in this respect. You know, the idea of, you know, who are you? What, image do you want to portray do you want to be an exciting attack oriented team using the likes of uh Wadnezelezniak and and Johnson and others using their skills to the best of your ability you know that's going to bring the crowd back okay if that's what you are then do it you know put yourself out there if you want to become known as the 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 enforcers and and the you know the really tough team and your your defense focus just like the pandas are then do it, you know, the fans will, will respond, they'll understand. But if you don't know who you are and if you chop and change and and if you uh, if you pay overs for players that don't deserve and don't deliver, um, how could you expect the fans to, to support you? You can't. And so I think that's, to me, in a nutshell, it's about identity, it's about... Um, you know the revitalization of the team and and looking to the skill sets that they have, rather than uh, you know in a more modern and more holistic way. I think that's what he's doing that that has never been done before uh, with yeah. this set of players. Um, but yeah, that's my view. What about you, Tish? Well, I've got that quote that you were mentioning, and it is, and I quote Andrew Webster: um, "We wouldn't be there without hard work, and we know that. We know our identity, and it's." Not all flair, it's hard work. And if it looks good afterwards, then great. We work hard first. You, you've you got to earn it, end quote. So there you go. So they wow. uh, th- they know you've got to work. You've got to work hard first, cuz, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> is, 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 like, is like their thing. But, it, but, it, but that's, that's really great because, you know, I think where we've been critical of the Warriors is that they've, in the past, is that they've had all the talent. But they seem to, um, you know, it's it's more about entertainment and less about the result. Where he's gone off, you know, don't worry even about the flair and the entertainment. Let's just get into those positions on the field with a strong kicking game and and as you said, all that stuff. Getting our forwards going forward and then our, um, you know, our outside backs, you know, running up the meetings and stuff like that, so that we're in position so that our our clever players can then. Um, you know, exploit the opposition who are running backwards to be able to, uh, you know, to be able to score points, and and it's working for them. And you know, sometimes uh, that's what it is. And and as you said, identity. It's it, it is those things. I mean, it shows you that you know sometimes you could buy a great player and, and they sort of you sign them up to your club, but unless unless they can actually um, unless there's a platform for them to to play uh, with, they're not going to get anywhere. Um, you know, so. You know, like for every Latrell Mitchell out there, you do need to have, um, you know, an Adam Fanua Blake to, <laughs> to to do the hard work up the middle. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And, yeah, look, looking forward to seeing them uh, hopefully make the top eight because I think they will give this competition a bit of a shake. And, you know, some, some pundits out there are actually predicting that they'll make the grand final and possibly this could be their year. Probably a bit too early to say that, but, you know, let's watch them with an interesting, uh, w- with interest, absolutely in the next few weeks I would and months. Love to see them. I would love to see them get a top four spot, so we could have a home game in New Zealand at one, for one of the final series. I think that would be amazing. Oh, absolutely! Talk about oh, that would be an, that would be amazing. Uh, you know, great crowds as well that they're going to get. So fantastic! Look, let's move on to tackle number six. The tips for round twenty-one. 
after the last round, I got six out of seven. You got five out of seven. That brings you to 93 and me to 87. I'm getting closer, slowly, slowly getting there. Uh, round 21 sees, uh, again, and a lot, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of other very interesting close matchups. And I'm looking, this is going to be, I reckon, a an entree into the semifinals. We're going to see some very good games this weekend, I guarantee you. St. George Illawarra Dragons versus West Tigers, the Thursday evening game at Wynn Stadium. I am tipping the Dragons. Okay, I'm tipping the Tigers, not an entree for the semifinals, but more a wooden spoon in the kitchen, right? So, yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. You mentioned Warriors versus Raiders at Go Media Stadium. Friday, 6 p.m. game. Uh, this, to me, it's got to be the Warriors. The Warriors are on song. Even though the Raiders have had a bye, I, I just get the feeling that the Warriors are on a roll at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you here as well. I'm going to tip the Warriors. Um, yeah, going to be a great game. Oh, the Waz, as I say. Um, the Rabbitohs versus the Broncos, Friday 8 p.m. at Sunshine Coast Stadium. Uh, this is a Rabbitohs home game, but they've taken it to Sunshine Coast, which is interesting. Uh, is it going to work against them? I don't think so. I think the Rabbitohs are, are in the frame or thereabouts, and I think this is going to be their true test uh, to kick kickstart their run to the finals, and I think they'll defeat the Brisbane Broncos quite handily, in fact. Okay, I'm going to tip the Broncos. Okay. All right, there you go. Um, Titans versus Roosters. Uh, look, I saw enough from the Titans against the Eels game to suggest that they're going to be quite competitive at Seabus Super Stadium on Saturday against the Roosters. And, in fact, I'm going to tip them to win. Yeah, look, I think the um, I think the Titans have been playing well. Um, so I'm going to tip the Titans. And I think it's a must-win game for them as well to try and stay in the hunt. Yeah, that's right. Similarly, Newcastle Knights against Melbourne Storm at Saturday, 5.30 p.m., McDonald Jones Stadium. One thing that's guaranteed is it'll be a big crowd. I don't think they will put much of a fight up against the Storm. I think the Storm, despite the fact they've gone down a notch this year, they're still up there. And, you know, you can't count discount Craig Bellamy's teams at all. So I'm tipping the Storm for this one. Yeah. Storm haven't had their best season this year, but still running third. <laughs> so yeah. Tip- It's annoying, isn't it, how good they are? Uh, This is going to be a good one. Cowboys versus Eels. There's a lot of bad blood between these teams and, uh, you know, it goes way back. But I'm tipping the Eels. It's at Queensland Country Bank Stadium. It's a Saturday evening game. Uh, You know, I'm not going to be able to get there physically, but I definitely will be watching it (laughs) on streaming. And this will be a cracker. I guarantee it. And I am tipping the Eels. Obviously, I'm a an Eels fan through and through, but I am worried about this one. If we lose this one, we are going to be uh, struggling to on the edge of the eight. So I think this is a must-win for the Eels, really. But equally, it's a must-win for the Cowboys. Yeah, another cracker. I'm going to tip the Cowboys, A, they're at home, and B, I don't like the Eels when they've got to play in humid conditions. That's right. El Nino is good for us, not La Nina, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> Panthers v Bulldogs. It's the uh, Cameron Seraldo Cup. Uh, <laughs> Sunday, 2 p.m. at Blue Bet Stadium. I think the Panthers are too good. Yep, Nathan Cleary is back. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to tip the Panthers. I don't, I don't see any other result, unfortunately. No worries. Battle of the Beaches, Cronulla Sutherland Sharks versus Manly Warringah Seagulls at Points Bet Stadium down there in the Shire. Sunday, 4 p.m. game. 
this will be a good one. And I, I'm just worried about the Sharks against – well, the, Eel, the Eagles are not in the top eight at the moment, but – I think that's right. Let me just double check. Mm. I think I said they were not in the top eight. No, they're not. So maybe maybe my argument is incorrect there. But I just get the feeling Manly is uh, is kind of building to something, and I think they will. They've got the wood on the sharks, I reckon. So seagulls for mine. Yeah. Look, I'm going to tip the sharks. They're at home. They were embarrassed last week, so they're going to come out with a big performance. And um, you know, we've also got the. Uh, yeah, the unusual things that sometimes happen at Shark Park. Um, I think that all just points to a Sharks victory uh, over the eagle, uh, the Seagulls. All right, there you go. That's the tips. The Dolphins have the bye, so that is the tips for this week. Good luck to all the teams. I hope you guys all enjoy it out there. Um, I think it's going to be a few, several cracking games, absolutely. So it's going to be a good one. Um, get out and enjoy the rugby league. And uh, over to you, Tish, to wrap things up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. <laughs>